Welcome to the Wheel of Sports, home to the greatest sports stories ever told. My name's Ian McNally and with me is... Matt Lavery, Matt Lavery! <laughs> yes, hello Matt. Hello mate. Um, I, said, I said you're with me. You're in Edinburgh, I'm in Melbourne, Australia. <laughs> we'll get the wheel spinning. Let's and, get it uh, going mate, let's get it going. And I believe you're a bit foggy this, this morning. Yes, a little bit foggy in, had a few beers last night. Well, hopefully it's not your topic, Matt. I am pumping for this one, and the topic for this episode is... <laughs> it's True Grit. True Grit? Yes. And if it's all right with you, Ian, I'm going to take it. Oh, Matt, come on, you you had a few beers last night, and uh, I almost want to take pity on you and take it. Mate. But, you know, the wheel is... What the wheel does, the and wheel is and the wheel. You're, does. you're with the wheel. The wheel abides. <laughs> yeah, the wheel abides. <laughs> wow, that would have been a way better podcast. Despite my uh, foggy head, th- this is an incredible story. It's the story of Nicky Lauda, um, the Austrian Formula One driver. Um, do you know much about Nicky? Sorry, I didn't hear that last bit. Could you just say it a bit louder? <laughs> louder. Louder. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Wheel of Sport. <laughs> Please rate and review. <laughs> that is the episode for this this week. <laughs> so Nicky Nicky Louder. Louder and louder. Formula One driver. Um he's the only Formula One driver in history to have won the championship with both Ferrari and McLaren. You know, he's seen as one of the all time greats. And he, you know, he could easily have come up in one of a kind, um, you know, for his success. But for me, part of Nicky's story is is really the 1976 championship and particularly a crash he had. So before we get to that, I'll tell you a bit about his background. So as I say, Nicky was born in Austria, in, in Vienna, back in 1949. And perhaps like most uh, Formula One drivers, he's, he's born to a, quite a rich family. His grandfather was a was a sort of famous industrialist, but they didn't want him to go into Formula One and they didn't approve of him becoming a race driver. So from 1971, when he's about 20, 21, 22 years old, he decides this is the career he wants. Uh, his family don't support him, so he has to self-fund it. So he takes out a £30,000 bank loan um, secured against his life insurance policy and he had to buy his way onto a fledgling team called March and... He ceased contact with his family after this. His family weren't happy. He felt that they weren't supportive. And and that was that. He basically uh, yeah, ceased contact with his family um, when he was in his early 20s. Should this topic have been true wealth? I mean, <laughs> there's not many young men who have life insurance of which to get a, a bank loan. And he, he was... I didn't know he was born in Vienna. So I didn't know, like... I suppose Austria does have um, quite a motor racing history, but it's uh, when you think of Vienna, you don't think of motor racing. No, I suppose not, but uh, they have to come from somewhere, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Actually, it reminds me of, uh, I, I, believe it or not, Matt, I uh, studied history at school. Right. And, um, and we had to write an essay on the Congress of Vienna. And a kid in my class was a fan of Ultravox. Now, I'm not sure if you music fans will know Ultravox uh, sang a song which went, Ah, Vienna. Yeah. And this lad in my class, every time Vienna was in the essay, he, he wrote, Ah, Vienna. 
So like it would go like at the Congress of uh, Vienna. And so any time he wrote, you'd write R in front of it. He was, uh, he must have been a major student. <laughs> that stinks. That is a very niche joke. That look, it's it's night time for me, so I'm <laughs> I'm feeling loose. No excuses for that kind <laughs> of nonsense. Major students. God. <laughs> Moving on. I reckon I reckon ninety five percent of people listening now will not get that joke. No, the five percent they they will have to press pause or be in cardiac arrest because it's so funny. But get it, carry on, Matt. <laughs> Stinker. So he's he's with March, which is this uh, fledgling sort of you know uh, emerging Formula One team, and they they also drive in Formula Two. So in nineteen seventy one, he's actually driving for them. In both, well, he's sorry, he's actually driving for them in both the Formula One and Formula Two. But their Formula One season is awful. They have problems with the car. Um, you know, it's, it's it's going really badly for for Nicky Lauda. So he decides to leave. He goes to the bank again, takes out another loan uh, to buy his way onto the BMW team. Uh, so from 1973, he joins BMW. How does that work in terms of? buying yourself onto a team are you basically like saying i've got the ability but i i have to self-fund because i would really like to play for tramia rovers or liverpool but i can't just get, turn up with a load of cap maybe i could actually with tramia rovers but well how's it work in formula one do, do you kind of you just have to be able to um back yourself i suppose yeah you self-fund yourself and you just say give me the opportunity to drive your car and we'll make our i'll make you loads of money when i win um, and the difference, the difference between Formula One and Formula Two is it just different cars, different tracks. Yeah, so Formula One what? is the it's the same tracks. I think Formula One is the the pinnacle. It's the faster cars. So he joins BMW, but the the team are sort of in decline. They're not doing particularly well. I mean, BMW is a famous Formula One team, and um, but at this at this period, they're sort of a bit a bit ordinary. Um, and Lauda's doing all right, but nobody's really taking too much notice. But his teammate, uh, a guy called Clay Regazzoni, um, leaves BMW to go to join Ferrari, who are obviously, you know, at the time and, and still are one of the great names in Formula One. So Regazzoni goes over to Ferrari, and when he's there, he puts in a word to the guys at Ferrari, to the suits, and says, look, I used to drive with this young guy called Nicky Lauda when I was at BMW, and he's pretty good. You might want to take a look at him. And uh, he speaks of, of Lauda so highly that Ferrari are convinced to go and sign Lauda to Ferrari, clear all of his debts, and make him one of their drivers. So from 1974, Lauda becomes a Ferrari Formula One driver. Wow. Yeah, I mean... That's really exciting, isn't it? It's... I mean, I wish somebody would would speak that fondly of me. You know what I mean? Not bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And and you know the idea that people just clear your debts because you've just been like taken out on your family's life insurance effectively and and recklessly spending it rather than like going to university or educating yourself or doing something worthwhile. Oh, <laughs> oh look, here we go. I knew it was only a matter of time before we got into the uh, the the inequalities of the class system here. With <laughs> <laughs> Well, really, Come like, ser- ser- seriously, though, like, 
good good on him obviously he's his ability speaks for itself but it's also it's quite frivolous isn't it to to just go follow your dream i mean why don't you just go and work in the factory like the rest of us and be unhappy for the rest of your life (laughs) none of this following dreams (laughs) you are a dirty cynic (laughs) so he's as i say it's 1974 he's a formula one ferrari driver and look it, it seems like it's paid off in his debut race he finishes second and three races later he wins his first ever formula one race you know, it's it's a great start, and he has a he has a really promising season. He, pretty much, you know, most of the time, or, or certainly very frequently, he's qualifying for the Formula One races in pole position. So he's that means he's starting the race in first place uh, because of his fast qualifying times. But then when the race actually starts, he, he's not really converting those pole position starts into wins. You know, it's a combination of sort of bad luck mechanical fault maybe a bit of inexperience and he actually only wins one more race in his debut season so in the championship he finishes fourth which is a good start uh you know i think a, a solid start for a for, for a ferrari driver for a debut debut season and but it, but i guess there's an expectation that next year is going to be even better for him because he's going to have that experience of, of doing the full season uh, with ferrari uh, you know you can build on that fourth place finish in the championship so moving to 1975 it's his second season now with ferrari and ferrari provide him with this exceptional car um the ferrari 312t is a technically superior car to any of its competitors um the season starts it's, it's a bit of an ordinary start for for Lauda. He, he doesn't finish higher than fifth in the first four races but then he goes on a streak and he wins four out of five races consecutively he finishes on the podium eight times out of 14 and he wins the the championship with a huge margin over over the guys uh in in second place and below and is this kind of because in formula one back then uh, now it seems like so heavily regulated in terms of like what types of oil you can put in the fuel that you use the tires the materials everything's like really regulated so there's a very narrow frame in in where you can improve the car and so on mm-hmm. is the case is a bit kind of more laissez-faire back then where you know if you've got a faster car it can be significantly faster like it can be a significant advantage i don't know to be honest because i know that there's always been there's always been regulations so i'm not sure if those have I guess I'm more or less restrictive uh, now than they were in the 70s. I know even in in modern times, you know, there's 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 always issues where a car will try and take advantage or, or gain an advantage, um, and then you know the other cars that aren't winning will, will complain, and uh, it's sort of up to the authorities to to make a decision. I, I, so I'm not sure whether or not it would have been easier or harder for them back then but either which way around certainly he was in in probably the best car and you know really sort of fulfilling his his early promise uh, as the best driver yeah and you can still have a great car and not fulfill its potential the same way a a great driver might be in a poor car and not fulfill the individual driver's potential as well exactly yeah i like that in ways that's the strange thing about formula one i guess because you can never it's it's never a truly fair fight, if you like, because someone's always going to have that 
technical advantage, but people love Formula One, and you know there are other races or uh, other other motorsports available where they all drive the same vehicle, um, and they're probably not as popular. So there's obviously something about it that, mm. that I guess inspires the public. But yeah, as I say, in this case, Lauda is really taking advantage of of the car that he's he's in. I occasionally watch videos of the ring road of the uh, in the old Soviet Union. Excellence, same car, <laughs> great circuit. <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so, nineteen seventy-five, he finishes as the champion after a fairly ordinary start. Nineteen seventy-six starts, and it, you know, he's, he just follows on from where he left off. And it actually, the, the championship actually starts a lot better for him. He wins four out of the first six races uh, and he finishes second in the other two. By the time of his fifth win, he already had more than double the points of his closest rivals, um, two lads, James Hunt and Jody Schechter. So he's absolutely smashing it. His second championship just looks like a formality. He also is on track to win the most races in a single season to, to break the record for that. You know, he, he just looks all-conquering. You know, it just looks an absolute uh, a foregone conclusion that he's not only going to win his second championship, but he's going to do it, you know, breaking records left, right and centre. And this is in a really short space of time, isn't it? That it, You said he started in like 1971 and within kind of four years, he's, it seems like he's at the, not only at the pinnacle, but he's smashing it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I mean, in, in, in four years, he's gone from starting at March, two years at March, two years at BMW, and uh, and then, you know, he's into, he's, he's a champion. You know, it, it's, it's a rapid progression. And he now sits top of the championship, looking absolutely unbeatable. And this is where we come to sort of the, you know, a major incident in Lauda's career, which is the 1976 German Grand Prix. So Lauda's the fastest driver on this course, and he's the favourite to win the race. But there's this real dark irony to this. It's almost fated. There's something about this. It's it's remarkable. In the weeks leading up to it, despite the fact that he's the favourite to win, he's actually really unhappy with this racetrack. Um, and he asks the other drivers to boycott the race because he doesn't think it's safe. He feels that the, the course is too long, that the track is, is far too big for it to be safely and properly marshaled. He says there's a lack of safety resources, you know, if there was an incident, he doesn't think that there's enough fire marshals or fire and safety equipment or just other safety vehicles to actually cover such a, a giant course. Is this is this Louder himself? Yeah, Louder is is uh, leading um, a boycott of the race, and he goes to the other drivers to to ask, and um, he lost the vote by one vote. So the drivers vote on this and they decide that the race will go ahead but it's it's so marginal as i say one driver's vote would have would have swung it and the race wouldn't have gone ahead so and that seems re- that seems really sh- interesting to me that it's actually the drivers who are talking about the safety and like fire marshals and all you know when you think about like a a soccer player or a, in the olympics or something like the athletes don't think about that type of thing. I know they're not in a as dangerous a sport as Formula One, but you know, or you can imagine boxers kind of, you know, if you're boxing, you know, maybe 
maybe they do ask questions about whether there's medical support close by or how many medics they're going to be on but it, it actually it's really interesting that the the drivers at that stage are so close to the ground that they're actually kind of looking after their own safety whereas in in a modern Formula One, you wouldn't imagine that be a question any driver would ask because they wouldn't have to. I mean, they've just got the the most vested interest in it, don't they? Because it is a matter of life and death. And, uh, you know, there has been, you know, certain, certainly in, if you ever see the film um, Senna, which has documentary footage, you know, Senna's complaining uh, in that about, about certain conditions and he feels that certain things aren't safe. Um, and I guess the drivers do have almost a, a union um, whereby they will, you know, make demands of of the safety uh, authorities um, because without them, then there is no no race. So it's yeah, they, they obviously ha- have a, a certain amount of power um, and I think that they, they still do now and they still talk about it. But you're right. You, you'd sort of assume it's not on the driver's shoulders. They should just focus on the racing. Um, but you know maybe so maybe it was different back then I, I don't know but certainly in this case Lauda was was leading the the calls for a boycott and uh well he was unsuccessful and the race race went ahead so you know as I said it, it's almost fated that of course there's an incident and of course it, it, it's Lauda who who's involved so during the second lap of the race Lauda's Ferrari swerves uh hits an, an embankment at absolute incredible speed and the car bursts into flames immediately Brett Lunger then comes around the corner the same bend and he crashes into Lauda's car which is already on fire to see the footage man it's it's like a, a you know a real inferno the car is absolutely on fire so the other drivers obviously stop their cars uh, Brett Lunger who I say he's his car's now collided with uh with Nicky Lauda he's able to get out of his car but Lauda's trapped so Arturo Mazzario, Brett Lunger, Guy Edwards and Harold Earlt, they're all able to stop their cars and are the first on the scene to try and rescue Lauda who's, who's trapped and can't get out. Lauda's helmet uh, has, has come off his head during the impact, so his face and head are exposed to the flames. Lauda is retrieved from the wreck and he's still conscious um, when he's pulled pulled out by the other drivers, but he's suffered such severe burns to his head. He's lost most of his right ear. He's lost the hair on the right side of his head. His eyebrows are gone. He's lost his eyelids. But most dangerously, he's suffered serious damage to his lungs um, from breathing in these these poisonous gases. You know, he then collapses, goes into a coma, and he's he goes off to hospital, obviously, and he's actually read the last rites in hospital. Legend has it that when he wakes up, he he, uh, he says, "Tell the priest to fuck off. I'm still alive." <laughs> because <laughs> he's he's really unhappy about the fact that the you know they're treating him like he's he's going to die because he doesn't want to think think like that. But it, you know, this is a serious incident, and you know, just to see the footage, you think, "Wow, like he is lucky to be alive at all." It's crazy, and so. An incident like that, you know, you've got a car that's a write-off, a driver who is a write-off. The It's extremely traumatic as well for somebody, you know, even if everyday people are involved in a, a, a small car crash going to the supermarket, it's 
traumatic. It's stressful. And it takes a long time sometimes for people to get back in the car. Nicky Lauda, well, surely he can't get back in the car after suffering that, but also the the physical side, the the recuperation that it would need, but also the mental side for him to actually physically get back into a car and drive a Formula One, when surely there'd be also be a mistrust of the authorities that there wasn't enough fire marshals, there wasn't enough safety around the track, and surely it'd be such a distrust that he would never get back in a Formula One car. Well, that's what you'd think, and. Uh... Certainly, if it was me, I know I wouldn't be, be sort of you know in any great rush to get back out on the track. But Lauda's back racing thirty three days after the incident. He actually only missed two Sorry, races. Matt, so I'm going to have to stop you there. He was back in a Formula One car thirty three days. Yeah, racing. He raced thirty three days later, um, the Italian Grand Prix, and he finishes fourth. And it's was not just si- was he signing on the dole? What, yeah. what was happening? Why? <laughs> Why did, yeah. Was he forced to go back? Why was he back in the car a month later? He, it's crazy, isn't it? He, um, no, he wanted to get back out there. And it's it's hard to even imagine the desire or or, the, or understand why he would want to do it. But he certainly did. I mean, it's, it's actually quite horrific because, as I say, he finishes fourth in the Italian Grand Prix. His bandages are... I mean, it's, it's quite graphic, but they're still like blood soaked. So, you know, they wear the little sort of net sort of thing over your, over the head to protect, I, I guess, just a bit of comfort. There's sort of a between the helmet and the skin. Yeah, it's like, it's like a, a sexy balaclava. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it, 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 his, his balaclava is, is blood soaked and you can, in his, his head is still leaking blood, um, you know, and it's visible oh. through his bandages under his helmet and. Despite that, he finishes fourth. I mean, look, he said it himself. He was absolutely terrified in that race. And it's, I don't think he even knows himself how how he could possibly finish fourth. But he did. And the season continued. Look, before the German Grand Prix, he, he was, you know, streets ahead of his nearest competitors. But during his absence in those two races, a chap called James Hunt has been winning. And has started to mount a bit of a, a title challenge. Um, obviously, Loud has missed a, a few races, and now it's it's looking like Hunt's going to win the title. The clues in the name, isn't it, Matt? Eh? The clues in the name. <laughs> what hunting him down? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a kind way of putting it. Yeah. I think to to be fair, Hunt and Louder, there's there's been a lot made of this in their rivalry, but they were actually great friends. Lauda actually spoke about it and said that he would quite frequently go out on the town uh, in London with Hunt and then stay at his flat afterwards. But he, he was quick to clarify it wasn't it wasn't just him staying at, at Hunt's house. There was always at least four of them. <laughs> Absolute lads. But um, yeah, no, they 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 were they were actually pretty good friends uh, on and off the track. You know, they they were. They were rivals, but you know there was a lot of respect, and it was always a fair, fair com- competition. You know there was no, uh, you know, other Formula One rivalries, famous rivalries, have maybe involved some, you know, dangerous driving or like, particularly aggressive driving. But I think with Hunt and Lauda, there wasn't really any of that. They were just, they both just wanted to win. Going into the final race of the season, obviously Lauda's still recovering, and Hunt is now only three points behind Lauda in torrential rain. Lauda 
decides to retire from the race as he thinks it's unsafe. I mean, to be fair to him, his tear ducts were still so badly damaged by the fire that his eyes are watering and he's he's unable to blink. So fair enough that he's not doesn't feel safe in the in the rain. Do you, do you think he was putting the windscreen wipers on and and then it wasn't clearing, so he thought, well, it's me, actually me eyes. Yeah, that could be that. <laughs> um, Hunt Hunt's actually winning the race. Um, I, I mean, it's it's quite dramatic, really. Hunt's winning, and then his tires burst, so he has to take a, an emergency pit stop because it looks like Hunt might be forced to retire by his burst tires, but he's not. He's able to recover, and he finishes third in the race, which is enough to give him enough points to win the championship by just a single point. So Hunt wins the title, and Lauda finishes second. But that might sound disappointing, but to, to me... It is incredible that, you know, just a short time after such a horrific incident. I mean, he's in a coma. He's he's read the last rites. To finish second by a single point, to me, just shows incredible determination, you know, real true grit. And I I guess it's important not that 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 in itself is is, uh, success. It shouldn't be seen as, oh, what a disappointing end to this tale. It, It really isn't, you know, he's... It's amazing that he, he was able to get back in a Formula One car at all, let alone finish second. What became of him? Did he carry on? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so uh, that was 1976. He finishes second. He'd already won it in 1975. Uh, in 1977, he, he wins the title easily. But his relationship with Ferrari's been strained. He, they brought in a replacement driver while he was injured, who then becomes his racing partner. I guess he felt uncomfortable about that. Um, you know, I'm not sure it was a personal problem, but he just didn't quite like how Ferrari had handled it. He didn't feel that they'd given him the full support. I think the fact that he'd uh, retired from the Japanese race was quite quite contentious because Ferrari felt he should have kept going to win the title, and he didn't think it was safe. So there was a bit of a bit of a strain with Ferrari, and he he, look, he wins the title in 1977, still with Ferrari, but he decides to leave after that. In 1979, he moves on to another team. But in 1979, it's not going too well. And he actually decides to retire. He's got enough money. And he he started a business where, he, and it's an airline business, an aviation business. So he's running a, an airline company from 1979. But in 1982, he makes a bit of a shock return uh, to Formula One after retiring. Um, he joins McLaren. And <laughs> <laughs> what? I just love that he's like, oh yeah, I'm off to start an airline now. And yeah. Then three years later, he's like, all right, lads, I'll, I'll come like, back. I thought you'd thought you'd gone, Nicky. Uh, what's <laughs> just no, no, back in the car. Still, well, still no eyelids. Yeah, but... <laughs> it's mad. Well, it's it, it's it's you know, it was a good choice for him to come back. I think McLaren had, uh, and particularly their sponsor, their main sponsor was Marlboro, the the cigarette brand. They had concerns over whether Lauda still had it, you know, was was still a winner. And they, they, they weren't sure about bringing him back. I think, you know, some of the guys at McLaren wanted to, some of them didn't. Anyway, he did join. He did rejoin in, in 1982. And in 1984, whilst he's still at McLaren, he actually won the championship by just half a point over his teammate, uh, Alain Prost. They don't normally give out half points, but on this occasion, they'd, uh, they'd done it for the Monaco Grand Prix, which had had to be abandoned quite early in the race. So, yeah, he won the title uh, for the third time in, in 1982. And then 
shortly after that retired again he you know he, he was involved in in aviation as i say he had some airline businesses he's been in and out of formula one he um he ended up working for mercedes and convinced uh, he was quite influential in sort of getting Lewis Hamilton to to leave McLaren and join Mercedes. You know, he was he was a big part of that deal. So, pretty stellar career. Um, you know, winning another title, well, another two titles after after the nineteen seventy six crash. I'll, I'll leave you with this, Ian. One of my favourite stories about about Nicky Lauda is he had absolutely no interest in his trophies that he won. And obviously every race you win, you're given a, a trophy. Well, he used to give them away to his local garage in exchange for his car to be washed and serviced. <laughs> and then, and then, but he, he said that the fellow he used to give them to died. So we started giving them to his son, who, who still ran the garage. So he was still getting his car serviced and washed. But then obviously he retired, stopped getting trophies. So now he has to pay for it. <laughs> which that's outrageous <laughs> it's outrageous isn't it Come on. so i'm a big big fan of that i love the idea that that would be something that all formula one like lewis hamilton would still be you know going into quick fit given given gary is uh <laughs> his trophy yeah i know or just one of his just one of his shoes <laughs> it's, like, it's incredible isn't it uh, so. it's amazing that is a, a unbelievable story and i actually was quite nervous when you opened up saying a determined fella from austria went to germany and there was an incident oh, I got a bit nervous you. matt but thanks That's so awful. much for listening to the wheel of sport make sure you re- review us wherever you get your podcasts from and tell your friends about us as well word of mouth is very useful um send us an email at the wheel of sport at gmail.com or um send us a message through instagram at the wheel of sport or twitter and we'd love to hear from you and we'll speak to you very soon thanks matt thanks so much Ian. take care A determined fella from Austria. <laughs> oh, that's awful, man. <laughs>